Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel-tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released, and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you're able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. As a parent of two children, simplifying the way you travel alleviates the stress that comes with traveling. We are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10 or go to the link in our show notes. DB, it's time to move on and time to get going. Stock host of a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. When experiencing trauma, that energy, those feelings live well beyond the actual event in the nervous system. When similar feelings are triggered, it's the body that remembers. In my earliest days of treatment, somatic experiencing therapy was the first modality that really began my healing. On my podcast, I've interviewed Dale Denunzio, my SE practitioner in episode three, and I spoke with Eduardo Cortina, a somatic cannabis integrative therapist in episode 35. In this episode, I speak with Katie Holsapple, somatic yoga therapist and founder of Her Temple Healing. Katie, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, thank you so much. For me, like I was saying, somatic experiencing actually really helped me. And so did yoga. And it was healing from the trauma of childhood sexual abuse. How did you find somatic yoga? And how do you how do you really combine the two? It's a great question. And I think to answer it fully, we have to really understand more deeply what yoga actually is. So many, especially if you haven't been trained as a yoga teacher, but even many of our quote unquote pop culture yoga teaching traditions, think of yoga as really just the postures that you do. It's called the asana. And what the real heart of yoga is actually this word yoga, which means union to bring together, to unify. And to work with opposites or polarity, things that, um, like, for example, the light and the shadow, and working with these opposites, bringing them together in union in the center, also this quality of creating more union, body, mind, spirit. There's a lot of different ways we can think of this term yoga and its meaning of union to bring together. Uh, And I say that because it, points to more of the heart of yoga and a lot of actually if we go way 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 back to the very very beginning of these yoga practices really connected to uh, this process of tuning into listening to deepening into relationship with the body and and allowing the body to be this portal for something greater the, uh, the great beyond if you will spiritual connection which has really interested me for um, quite a while. And then through my own experiences with sexual trauma and healing sexual traumatic experiences from my body, uh, as you shared, somatic practices and yoga practices just felt very, very helpful and very, very healing for me. 
and also so naturally integrate great together because yoga is rooted and heartened through and with the body as our somatic practices, right? We think of the word somatic, soma, roots in the body, but also that word soma has a meaning from the yoga tradition, which means divine nectar or like the juice that you can extract from your life experiences, which is so powerful and so beautiful. And so somatic yoga therapy is this really powerful combination of both traditional yoga practices, which include the yoga postures, but also there's a lot more in that realm than many people who even have practiced yoga at like a studio aren't always fully aware of such as mantra, which is sacred sound, mudra, gestures with the hands, breath work, meditation practices. So these sort of practices are really powerful, but especially when incorporated with this lens of the soma, of tuning into the wisdom of the felt sense inside, which is able to tell you exactly what you need right now for healing and for transformation and for growth. And so this combination of tuning into the body, tuning into the felt sense sensations in the present moment as a teacher, as a guide, and then these tools, these practices in yoga that really support that process. And it's just really, really complimentary and been extremely, extremely, extremely powerful for me and for the clients that I work with. Before I actually went into treatment for childhood sexual abuse and other traumas, I did yoga. It was fun. And honestly, I was just like, oh, it's a great time to go with my girlfriends and stretch. And, you know, at the end of your practice, you are to be still and kind of just focus on your breath. But I've always had a busy mind. And I think that was something that was always an issue for me, but I could never stay present. And I think it was like during the yoga practices, I was able to focus because I needed to, because I needed a balance or I would fall over. But at the end of my practice, I would sit there and just think of a list of things to do and not really, really take advantage of the purpose of it. And I think once I learned that there was more to just doing the the poses and all of that, it was when I really started connecting or uniting like my body and my mind and just being able to be present. And that was extremely powerful for me. You did talk about that you experienced PTSD for sexual trauma. Could you share a little bit about that and how you were able to begin your healing? Totally. Yeah. And before I dive into that, I'll just say that that is such a normal experience at the end of a yoga practice in Shavasana to feel like the mind is still really, really going. And there's still a level of, you know, you might call it hypervigilance or like just a really hard time dropping in and relaxing. And yeah, it's very, very common. That's um, so funny that that is because I, I really don't I don't think a lot of people realize like that's this is the time that you really need to quiet your mind. It's mm-hmm. like the the part that like you absorb everything from your practice that you just lay down on the floor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's actually thought of the most important yoga posture is corpse pose, shavasana at the end when you're resting mm-hmm. and integrating all of the the nectar, the soma that you've extracted from the movements and the breathing practices. It's the time for integration but especially when there's been trauma that can be really challenging to just lay there and be still like really really challenging 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a good segue into your other question, which is about my own experience. And one thing that I, I noticed, which is pretty powerful. So I've had different traumatic experiences through my life, but especially my sexual trauma afterwards, it tore me away from my yoga practice. It made my yoga practice really, really hard because there are certain yoga postures that just felt way, way, way too triggering in my body. It was like no go for me, almost impossible. Um, And that was heartbreaking. I was heartbreaking because I've been doing yoga for a long time and it's been a pinnacle part of my life, my spirituality, my, uh, my health. And so that was a really like that was a huge grief a huge loss for me and since then I've really had to redefine my relationship to yoga and now I can practice I can go in the postures and I don't get uh, so triggered anymore and actually can really enjoy and really allow myself to deepen in and experience the postures in the way that they have been so powerful for me for a long time but uh, that was not present for me for a good while and And that was really, really hard, really challenging to navigate the space where yoga being such a powerful resource for me wasn't available anymore. And simultaneously, because I've I've done a lot of trauma healing modalities, had a very high amount of body awareness, breath awareness from my yoga practice, it also was very supportive in me just naturally deepening into somatic feeling as I, as I started this journey of really deep recovery from, from pretty severe PTSD. And it, you know, it's not a time of my life that was easy or fun. And uh, that is 100% true. But I'm also like, starting to come to the other side, there's still so much healing and processing happening. Of course, I think it's a lifelong journey. but seeing it in a bit of a different way and in terms of how much I've, I've been able to extract and heal and expand beyond um, what could have possibly happened if I didn't have the traumatic experience that I did. I think that's, a, it's, that's pretty beautiful and not often talked about in, uh, in trauma healing and trauma therapy. A lot of it's just like, how do I freaking survive the day? How do I get through? Right moment to moment and and also I found that it's such a beautiful opportunity for uh, deep growth and expansion and fulfillment and that's been a huge part of my experience as well as I've kind of worked through somatic processing it's been so much more than just working with trauma yeah I don't think we talk about post-traumatic growth as much as we should, because I feel like if we did talk about that a lot more, more people would be interested in, in healing from the PTSD to get to that growth. It's interesting that you were talking about yoga positions that can be re-triggering for sexual abuse survivors. How do you avoid that when you are helping others in, in their journey? That's a great question. And it, it kind of depends on the person, of course, that um, for a lot of the people I work with one-on-one, we don't really do yoga postures in the way that you might think of it. 
we're really tuning into what's happening in the felt sense inside and letting that kind of like somatic exper experiencing, like the felt sense often has an impulse connected with it, some sort of impulse for movement. And then from there, a spontaneous yoga posture might come about, which is actually called Sahaja. It's a really beautiful um, Sanskrit word that means spontaneous flow or spontaneous movement, spontaneous expression. Uh, and so sometimes, and this is just like, my clients' bodies lead themselves in there and I kind of guide them through it, uh, but tracking some of the micro movements that happen as we start to tune into the felt sense will naturally start to guide the client's body into certain yoga postures. And if I'm, if I were teaching, if I were teaching more asana, it would definitely be uh, more from this lens and the side of like what shape what posture would feel would actually feel good would bring pleasure to you rather than bringing um than bringing trigger like for example for me child's pose was one like that's that's the posture in in yoga classes that your teacher's like if you're feeling um overwhelmed or really tired come into child's pose but for me that was like not not a possibility at all so i think also it's really important for teachers and um, and unfortunately, not a ton of yoga teachers get trained in working with, uh, working with trauma. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to know that like having some sort of touchstone posture, it's really, really important, but some, it, it's just so dependent on person to person, what posture is going to, what shape of the body is going to bring up traumatic memory or flashbacks, um, and what postures will be more of a resource will be more. Uh, grounding will be more centering and so it's about really getting intimate with each person individually and helping mm -hmm. them find what, what what works for you right here and right now and you know eventually you can start to work with the postures like really slowly really easily work with the shapes that do bring up memory that do bring up triggers but as a in a way that helps to integrate that so that that shape can cannot have to bring that traumatic memory back up so much anymore so do you, as a somatic uh, yoga therapist, do you work in group settings or do you do individual individual sessions where you can work with them personally? I do a bit of both. If I'm doing trauma work, I prefer one-on-one um, -on -one because as I said, it's just so individual. And especially if someone has PTSD, CPTSD, um, or just high, high amounts of trauma, trigger, anxiety, depression. There's just uh, so much that, so much importance to really paying attention to the details of what that individual needs, because that's going to really support their healing journey. And this is when, you know, we, it, it's, you know, you might see like on Facebook or Instagram ads, like five yoga postures to relieve anxiety or, three breathing practices for PTSD, right? And there's there's definitely a gift in that and having those very solid, like these things are for this, but really it's so much more important to get to know what each individual person wants and needs because one of those postures for quote unquote, reducing anxiety for one person might actually bring up anxiety mm -hmm. or trigger a panic attack. So 
just paying really close attention to the details of each person and their nervous system and their life is so important. That being said, I do work with groups. It's just, um, it's a different experience. We don't go quite as deep into that individualized experience and it is more um, oriented to resourcing and to uh, creating more bandwidth for, mm. for healing. Wow. You know, I, I've interviewed guests and about transgenerational trauma. I've, I've um, read some of your work and you have discussed how sexual trauma can be passed down. Can you explain? Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like you've had some guests on who have talked about the impact of uh, ancestral trauma. And mm -hmm. there, I forget who, who the study is from, but there's really pivotal study about, um, about grandchildren of Holocaust survivors mm -hmm. having flashbacks and traumatic memories and symptoms associated with the Holocaust. And right. actually what's, what, what was really interesting about me in my life is that I, in my family line, there has been a lot of sexual trauma, especially from uh, my more, the more maternal side of my family, as far as I know. Oh. Um, and I felt from a really young age that I've carried that in my body, but I hadn't had the language or the knowledge or the story to really fully understand it. And this is another one of those beautiful things that I've started to heal and extract through my own um, sexual healing journey is actually starting to heal lineage work for, for my family. Wow. It's so powerful. Uh, but especially because sex with, with sexuality, it's such a core part of our being, our survival and our, our pleasure as human beings. And it's also one of the closest layers to our subconscious and unconscious minds. Um, it's very, very connected to this ancestral piece because that's where that memory is stored is in the unconscious and is in the subconscious. And so it's almost like your sexuality can become this translator for your shadow, <laughs> translator for your, um, your repressed or unexpressed or pushed down parts of yourself, pushed down experiences, both from this lifetime and from generations before you. And I find that really interesting and um, love, to, love to talk about this with people and because there's so much shame around sexuality and so much hesitancy to really speak to it or speak about it, especially when we start to talk about sexual shadow. But it's also so connected with where it, not just like, where is the shadow sexually, but it's connected with the shadow emotionally, ancestrally, thematically. So it's really, it's a powerful translator and powerful beacon to show some of what what might be really, really powerful to work with. And you also discuss reclaiming your inherent sexual innocence. Yeah, that's like such a powerful, mm -hmm. um, powerful statement just to sit with for a moment, reclaiming your sexual innocence. And how, like, for me, just hearing you say that right now, I know that's, um, those are words that I've spoken before, but hearing you say it, it's just like, Yes, yes, because our sexuality is inherently innocent if we take off all of the conditioning and socialized baggage that tells us that it's dirty and wrong and bad. And if we learn how to harness the power of our sexuality in, in the ways that I believe it was 
it was created for, which is pleasure and connection and creation and, and life. Such a, it's so beautiful. And we're born into this world of sexual beings, right? It's like such a core part of us. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who have sexual distortions, who use sexual power in a way of like overpowering others, harming others. Oftentimes, I believe that's really unconscious too. Like if you think about the Me Too movement and a lot of men that I've dated even, like they don't even realize the harm they're creating, which is really sad. And um, I also, while calling them into changing that, changing those dynamics, those ways of being, I also now have like a lot of compassion for that because there is a lot of trauma and a lot of pain and disintegration underneath those distorted sexual realities. Uh, but the the truth of the matter is that our sexuality is inherently innocent, is inherently pure, is not something dirty or shameful. Um, so different from what years of our culture and if you, especially if you have religious upbringing or religious ancestry, which many of us do, so different from what that teaches us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like, and I feel like some, some may use it for as control right? Like, I feel like, you know, my parents, I wouldn't say they were super religious or, I mean, I guess they are religious, but they never, I never felt that, um, you know, I, I guess it's, it, it is in their culture and maybe it was in their, within their religion, but they very much were like, you can't do this because then you'll be seen as a whore or a slut or whatever. Um, and, and, and so they did put a lot of baggage when it came to sexuality. And then, you know, so it is, it was my father who I was sexually abused by, which, it, you know, through some of my own healing through psychedelics and stuff and, and such, I realized it was his baggage that he took from his, his, his upbringing that was kind of just creating all of this. And for me, and it was like one of those things, it's like, I need to break the cycle. I can't be, I can't, this is not how it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to, like nobody taught, you know, when I was growing up, nobody said the word vagina. Nobody said, you know, those were like dirty words. You like had nicknames for it. Now, um, thank goodness through, you know, professionals and, you know, this need to talk about it we we are we feel comfortable talking about what what they actually the, the actual words and not all of this baggage that's attached to it um which i think you know the baggage attached to it do put it's harmful you know it's it, it people aren't able to or children aren't able to describe like if they if they've been sexually abused they aren't or they don't have the ability to really talk about what's happening to them. So I think talking about sexuality, but in a, like you were saying, an innocent, pure sense is actually really powerful. And I think that's something that we we should be doing a better job of um, in our culture and in society. Yeah, and what a beautiful example of transgenerational trauma that you just described with your father and um, tracing back to like, oh, like that's, like he has his own backpack full of trauma from 
his family and didn't start with didn't start with him didn't start with the two of you and it's like really powerful to be just I see you as someone who's kind of a lineage buster or like breaking breaking that cycle and I know a lot of people are in that um, state and have that identity especially if you're doing your own trauma work of like this ends with me and right. so that's really powerful and I also love what you shared about liberating our discussions and our conversations around sexuality especially as children like um, if you think about many of our first experiences with our sexual organs or their genitalia is someone kind of slapping the hand away and saying don't touch that don't go there don't talk about it right, right. and then if a child has had an experience of sexual abuse or sex like sexual inappropriate behavior that's going to be their default of like don't go there don't talk about it right so so many people feel like they have to stay silent around sexual trauma and around sexuality in general yeah i think that the more we talk about it the more people who feel more comfortable healing um i think i think there's a lot of power there and we we talked about post traumatic growth and i think that also needs to be talked about you are also the founder of Her Temple Healing. What is Her Temple Healing? Yeah, Her Temple is a sanctuary for trauma healing, especially for um, women and non-binary beings who want to heal trauma in their body, their heart, their mind. I specialize specifically in sexual and relational and physical trauma. And um, the platform really is a space for healing through somatic yoga therapy. So there's um, beautiful yoga, meditation. Uh, I call them harmonizing and embodiment practices that I lead my students and my clients through. And um, her temple is also a space where I train other people to do somatic yoga therapy work. And we have a, a training happening right now. We actually just had our whole last weekend together talking about um, the emotions connected with trauma and emotional expression and traumatic emotional experiences. And so it's a, it's a really beautiful um, course and container, like a year long deep dive into mm -hmm. some of the content we're talking about today. It's really powerful. Um, really quickly, I, I, I do recall you talking about the four fundamental um, pillars for somatic yoga therapy. Can you touch on that? Yes, yeah. So we have four main pillars. I like to call them the four R's. And they are kind of the step by step of moving into the process of healing. And it, which R we kind of focus on depends quite a bit on where each person is individually. As I spoke to earlier, it really depends on where you are in your healing. There are some people I work with who, because they've done yoga for so long, they have a high amount of um, somatic connection already, or they've been in therapy for years. So they're not quite in that very like first phase of trauma, which is just putting out the fires. Mm -hmm. um, but then they can move into some of the deeper stages of healing, which is actually when we start to get to post-traumatic growth. And so mm -hmm. I'll just share those four R's with you. So we have the first one, which is what I call rescue, which is again, kind of like that idea of let's put some of the fires out. Let's bring your body back to a sense of safety and stability 
and presence. Let's increase your bandwidth, your capacity. A lot of trauma healers will call this your window of tolerance. So Mm -hmm. I don't love that term because it feels like uh, almost negative in nature. Like, can you tolerate this? Right. Right. So um, I almost like to call it your, your window of presence or your window of your threshold of experience when you can really stay in a grounded space with uh, with what's coming up where it doesn't throw you into a full, full trauma response. That's this first step of rescue. And again, it's really about just creating some foundation and some sense of safety and stability again, feeling like actually like, oh, I can feel my body and feel, feel some sort of safety or some sort of ease or pleasure. And if not that, then at least I can sense into my body and feel at least some neutrality. And so a lot of trauma healers might call this more of like the resourcing, like mm-hmm. creating bandwidth, creating resource, getting yourself back into a state where you feel like there's a sense of ground underneath your feet. And then the second step is replenish, which is all about re-nourishing your body. Since in a traumatic experience, it is depletive or depleting by nature. And um I do a lot of work with Ayurveda, which is the sister science to yoga. It's more about herbal medicine, lifestyle, diet, nutrition. That really comes in, into play here in the second step with replenish, where we start to think about more of like, what is, what's your lifestyle right now? What sort of routines can we put in place that are going to support creating more rhythm again in your body? Because that rhythm is so important in trauma healing. It's part of... Um, part of uh, how how the brain starts to find healing again because trauma can really knock you out of rhythm and then everything mm-hmm. starts to feel really like scattered and really uh, actually scary and inconsistent. So yeah. it's about starting to reestablish your biorhythms and also a sense of nourishment and receptivity and fulfillment from the inside of your body out. So that's the second step, uh, which is also about learning how to rest again. You mentioned earlier with Shavasana, with corpses at the end of yoga, feeling like, oh, it's so hard to um, stay still or to stop mm-hmm. thinking. This is connected to the second pillar here of uh, how do we allow ourselves to really rest, which takes actually a lot of safety and a lot of ease in order to feel yeah. like you can actually rest. It's like so huge. And for so many trauma survivors, it's almost an it's almost like always connected with insomnia or this feeling of like, uh, can't slow down, got to keep going, move, 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 combined with maybe restful periods that are more like just like blacking out or sleeping for days. But Mm -hmm. um, so this is about finding more balance with, with the restful part of you, with your inner nourishment. And once we have those two foundations in store, which can think of as like, grounding and then replenishing from there you can start to do some of the release work so you can think about these those first two pillars as almost prerequisites for doing trauma release um and the release part of this is actually when you start to rewire and let go of some of the traumatic imprint from your body your mind and your heart where there can actually be some discharge that happens through um, expressing your emotions through physical movement, through 
shakings, through um, pushings, through, you know, running, or maybe through just like a very, very small movement. That could be a release too. It depends so much on the person. But this is when we start to really um, sense into what energy is present in the body, because I really like to think of all of this work as a form of energy work. Mm-hmm. When we think of and start to feel like, where is the energy blocked in my body? It might feel like tightness in my heart. It might feel like heaviness in my belly or butterflies or pain somewhere in the body and actually allowing that sensation to do what it needs to do to feel like it can fully express and then depart so that it no longer mm-hmm. has to be knocking on your door each and every day saying, feel me, feel me, something's wrong, something's wrong. And so that's that third third pillar, that third step is actually starting to do some unwinding and some releasing. This is really beautiful, really organic, really intuitive based on person to person. And if you're like, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, whoa, I have no idea like how I would even move through an intuitive release process, I would just invite you to return to those first two pillars of rescue and replenish because they're really like starting to just naturally build your way there right like Mm -hmm. all I'm describing right now is just an organic process of healing that naturally your body is wired to take you through so once the release happens there's usually some sort of of discharge and some sort of kind of build in energy during that pillar that's that phase of the practice where the energy kind of builds to a point of intensity where it might feel like might feel like a lot it might feel really hard and really challenging but if we are able to stay with it in a positive way and actually let it really move through then there's a bit of like a downward slope that we're able to go in that naturally brings your nervous system back into a state of balance state of um, homeostasis which is Mm -hmm. it's really powerful to see how this just naturally happens kind of similar again to the somatic experiencing idea of um going up the hill into intensity and then going back down into resource this is just really natural this is what your body naturally brings you through in the work and then the final step here which again is like so so beautiful is once that release has happened and there's more space in your energy body now is the chance to bring something new back in, something that, um, you know, a lot of people in trauma feel like they've lost a part of themselves or that they're broken or that, um, yeah, there's just this feeling of being lost. Like I've lost my soul. I've lost my connection with myself, my sexuality. Um, I've lost trust in relationships. So many things that really bring up a lot of grief in trauma survivors. And so this final step is about reclaiming what is inherently yours, right? We talked about sexual innocence. That might be one that a client really feels like a strong reclamation in. And again, this is intuitive and really based on the person, but and often naturally happens after the release process is that now there's space for more of what I call your soul to come back in. You might think of this as your higher self, your um, greatest expression of your personality, your you-ness, that that gets to come home into your body and not be so fragmented and pushed away anymore. And you get to start reclaiming some of your gifts, some of your superpowers, some of the, um, the beautiful reasons that you were born and here to express on 
in this lifetime on this planet in your journey. And so it's about reclaiming what's inherently yours, your birthrights, your gifts, that trauma can often kind of put a wall between us and, and those things. We kind of can forget that they exist or push them away actually because they become associated with traumatic memory or just feel like I'm in survival mode. I don't have time for, right. <laughs> for being my playful, fun, uh, joyful self. And so this is about bringing some of those back home in a way that feels safe and sustainable. And this is also, I think, some of the beauty in somatic yoga therapy because it, it, I do consider it a spiritual process. I can work with people who don't have those beliefs, but for me, I'm, I just know and connect so strongly in that way that it's um, it's a part of how I think and how I function. And this feels like a very spiritual pillar to me, this reclaim of like bringing your soul back into like full expression in your body. And these are like in no way linear steps. Right. Like I have them kind of one, two, three, four, but it's really when you're on the journey of healing, you're kind of always oscillating between all of them. You can be in more than one step at a time. And, mm. um, yeah, so it's not it's not a linear process at all. No, no, recovery yeah. is definitely it's it has its its peaks and its valleys. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to think of it almost like a spiral <laughs> because <laughs> sometimes when you know when I'm in a space which still happens, like I'm having a hard day or a hard week, and I get into this space where I'm like, isn't this over? Didn't I work through this already? Like, right. what the heck is happening here? Um, and I can really easily in my brain be like, am I going backwards? Like, what's happening? And when I think of it like a spiral, it's like, you're not going backwards. You're a, you're like a layer deeper now. You're like mm. a layer deeper, maybe under like the same surface area, but you're deep, like, it's a deeper experience here and now because you've had this prior healing. And so I, I love, love thinking that. of that. Yeah, yeah. that's, that, that is a great way to look at it. Mm. Uh, is there anything that you would like to add? I will kind of just finish off by with an invitation to those of you listening, which is starting to just really tune into sensations in your body and listening to the wisdom of, of your body's voice, because that is the most, if I could choose one most important thing here, it would be that like listening deeply to the voice and the wisdom of what your body is sharing with you through its signals, just like, you know, you get grumbles in your tummy when you're hungry right. or you get, you know, your leg falls asleep when you're sitting in a funny way. The body is, is really expressing a lot uh, around what it needs, how you are, what's going on that can provide so much wisdom on this path of healing. So tuning into that, trusting it, even when the logical mind is like, this doesn't make sense or mm -hmm. what the heck? Like, why am I, why is this sensation present? Why am I feeling this way? Just trust it. And that's the most important thing. Incredible. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, that was Katie Holsapple, somatic yoga therapist and founder of Her Temple Healing. For more from her, visit my website at atstpodcast.com. That's the letter atstpodcast.com. There you can find my social media platforms at the top of my homepage. And Katie has contributed to October's issue of Authentic Insider, which you can find at my website. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list 
to get Authentic Insider Magazine in your inbox monthly. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Take care. Thank you.